This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Hello guys and welcome to another episode of the Stardom Cast, your weekly or sort of audio source for all things world wondering stardom right here on the Podmania Podcasting Network. I'm your host Rob Goodwin and I'm joined as ever by Chris O. Brian. Merry Christmas Christopher! On the 27th. <laughs> <laughs> We're nothing if not punctual. To be fair, I completed one. Everyone has this Christmas tradition. I'm not special, but get all the leftover meat, throw it on a sandwich. The most unhealthy sandwich you'll eat all year, but it's also the best sandwich you'll eat all year. Oh my god! Yeah, it's it's Ross's sandwich from Friends. <laughs> yeah, and the last two, literally the last two years because um all my family's been in there, and I've we big fucking family. We brine breed like rabbits. So That's a lovely thought. Um, I. I I never get to the meet I never get to the meet on time. That's all I want, and it's sad every year. <laughs> but this year it's only me and me and my brother in the house because you know tier four is amazing. Um, so I got to have a massive one, some stuffing thrown on there, bit of gravy, turkey, ham. I was gonna have lamb, but we kept that for mum. We good boys. I mean, you sound great. a little bit aroused. It's such a good sandwich, like. I, I, I sometimes miss meal deal sandwiches, but that's mostly just missing real life. Just but missing you, you going outside. Yeah, I miss having a choice of, um, having like more than one choice of where to get takeout. Because basically, unless you want to spend thirty quid on, um, an Indian, you it's need to be Turkish. Mm. You've got a Turkish takeaway, but. <laughs> Only one supermarket. We have a, we have a Turkish... Te- well, we also have a co-op, to be fair, but I wouldn't call that super. Um, we have a Turkish takeaway. We have a sweet shop. We have um, two vape shops. But you know what we don't have? A branch of RBS. You know where, what's in what used to be a branch of RBS? A fucking sweet shop. And it's called... The Sweetie Bank, which is cute, but I'd actually quite <laughs> like a fucking bank around. I like that. I think that's great. I I would, but if we if we had an actual bank, we don't. <laughs> we just want money. We can't buy your sweets without money. <laughs> yeah, like like literally, if I need to get cash out for something, like before the bus, it was awful. I have to go up to the high street because there's no cash points within a ten minute walk of me. Um, so aside from your excessively meaty sandwich, um, what else did you get up to over the Christmas break or the Christmas period? Uh, um, excessive drinking. Standard. Um, so yeah, on it for four days. I'm a bit rough today, actually. Y- you um, sounded rough when you came onto the call. I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> you sounded proper gravelly. You're like, hey, up. Are you all right? <laughs> um, I've got. A- new computer which is great been playing star wars squadrons because i managed to get that for a tenner it's amazing nice like i've always wanted to drive an x-wing i mean i can't drive an actual car but you know i can do an x-wing and hang on what you can drive 
no, I can't drive. Oh, that makes more sense. Like, there's a reason, there's a reason I, um, when, I, when we went down to Blackburn, we got on the train or in Garth's car. I saw you were lazy. Oh, a headphone fell out. No. <laughs> okay, I'm back. Um, what did he say? I just thought you were lazy. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's that as no. well. I didn't say that. I didn't say this bad as well. Um, yeah, how was your Christmas? Yeah, not too bad. Um, it, it's obviously very, very difficult. It was sort of waited on with bated, with bated breath twice in the lead up to Christmas. Um, first, because obviously we broke up on the Thursday. Um, but, you know, if a child comes down with um, a positive test, then we would have to isolate. And the closer we got to the cutoff point, which was um, Thursday, so Christmas Eve, um, it was like, come on, please don't get a phone call. Please don't get a phone call. Please don't get a phone call. And anyway, I didn't. So thank God for that. Um, and then, yeah, Christmas Eve, um, we ordered a takeaway, um, as as is the, t- the tradition in the Goodwin household. And we ordered it at just before 20 past seven. And the fucker came at 25 to 10. <laughs> was I fair, hungry for are... an Indian curry at 25 to 10? No, was a fuck. We were, to be fair, we both had takeaways on the Saturday, didn't we? On, the, not the, on Christmas Eve, didn't we? I had a pizza crunch. For those, I, I for can... those who are listening, right, you will never understand the absolute disgrace of an image that Chris sent to the group chat where he tried to pass off this sandy-looking boulder as actual edible food. It's great. It's great. It's a deep-fried pizza. It's amazing. And it's like fried pizza. It adds to the whole vibe. What vibe? The, The I feel so good, but it's so bad for me vibe. Dude, eating a pizza from a takeaway is bad enough. But to have that then deep... How many calories do you reckon that is? And trust me, I'm not calorie shaming you. I've eaten my own body weight in jelly beans today. Um, No, I've done the same with celebrations. Um, Yeah. Very quickly, power rank for celebrations. All of them? Okay. Um, Um, I mean, number one is Malteser. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. Uh, number two is Galaxy Caramel. Hmm. Solid. Number three, Galaxy. Yeah. Um, number four is probably the Twix. Mm-hmm. Um, number five is your Mars Bar. Um, okay. Number six, Milky Way. And then number seven is Dog Shit. Um, then number eight is the actual plastic outer tub, uh, and then and then it's bounty. Um. Okay. So for me, number one, Maltesers, completely agree with you. Okay. Having in a biscuit. Agreed. Um. And then for me, I prefer standard Galaxy to caramel, but really they're interchangeable. They're, they're interchangeable. Yeah. In Agreed. Agreed. Um. And then for me, it's Snickers. I like I like the peanut. I'm a peanut butter fan. I forgot Snickers and... were in there actually. <laughs> um and then Twix, lovely. And then Milky Bar, and then controversial Bounty, and then Mars. That surprises me, only because you're Scottish and you love to deep fry Mars bars. <sighs> that's a that's a Glasgow thing. 
Have you not had one then? I've never had a deep fried Mars bar. No, like I, I have limits. It looks like a deep fried dog turd. I mean, yeah, it probably does. I imagine it tastes like it too. <laughs> I don't want to imagine <laughs> what it tastes like. What a deep fried dog <laughs> turd tastes like. <laughs> Probably like a deep fried man. Um, tell you what, though, over Christmas, my niece got two Nerf guns, which has made going to the bathroom more exciting. Because she just perches herself on the stairs waiting for someone to walk down with this fucking Nerf gun. I'm like, I swear to God, if you shoot me, I got my lightsaber out at some point just to try and get past her. <laughs> Is it a proper like, light at one? No, it's one I had from a kid. You know, it was one you used to get in like Woolworths for a fiver. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's all just like plastic. I want one of those proper light up ones because they look so fucking cool, but they're also so expensive. Are you a Jedi or a Sith? Um, I, I do prefer the Jedi to the Sith, to be honest. Because <laughs> I you prefer have... those good guys. No, it's because purely because you get more lightsaber variety. The Sith, you have to have red, and I like red, but also I'd like some different colors. <laughs> oh, right. Anyway, let's let's actually get on. <laughs> to some wrestling um today then ladies and gentlemen obviously this is our last podcast of 2020 hopefully next year is a damn sight fucking better than this dumpster fire that we call 2020 um today what we're going to cover is we're going to cover the uh, road to a soccer dream show um night two the show from the 16th at corican um very briefly whiz through the show on the 19th then, obviously, the main point of why we're here, we're going to talk about Osaka Dream Cinderella from the 20th of December. And then, to finish on, we're just going to look at some of the events of um, what happened after year-end climax. And I'm sure everyone has seen on Twitter and Facebook about what actually went down after year-end climax. We're not going to review the show because, as of this moment, there's only three matches up. So we're going to do that in the new year, as well as announcing the um, the recipients of the inaugural Stardomcast End of Year Award. So, very, very prestigious podcast indeed. But before we start, Chris, I just want to go through a couple of things before we fire into that first Corican show. The first thing that I want to talk to you about is that Stardom released a new logo that they'll be using for 2021. What is your opinion? It's fine. I prefer the current one. I, but like I always think about when I see a new logo. I don't hate it. <laughs> um, when I saw it in the corner of the year-end climax um, broadcast, I didn't hate it. I, I think it looks quite smart. It's it a bit, reminds me of the Noah logo. That's it's exactly what I was going to say. I loved the old Noah logo. Loved it. And mm -hmm. then it became very clean and very corporate and quite boring. But I don't hate it now. And the Stardom logo, I don't hate. Um, I know that it's been panned pretty much um, as a very, very unimaginative logo, especially as there are no stars on the new Stardom logo. <laughs> as opposed to the two. We have on the current one. Exactly. We have, two, we have lost two stars this year. We might have to update our podcast artwork. Oh, no. I've just, just, 
Oh no, because don't <laughs> don't give Garth more work. No, <laughs> that poor man. That poor man. We just give him so many logos to do. Um, no, you do it. I, I'll just be chilling, I and mean, then you're like, "Hey, can you do something for me and Chris?" It's like, "Whoa, I did not approve giving to." <laughs> don't you drag me into this? Uh, moving on from the logo, then. Um, more importantly, um, Stardom have announced the dark matches. Yes, matches for Wrestle Kingdom 15. So these are both taking place, I believe, on night two. So on the 5th of January. So these are the matches. So we have a tag team match uh, with the team of Mayweather Tani and Tam Nakano taking on the Donna Del Mondo team of Julia and Siori. And then the second match is another special match with the Queen's Quest team of Sayakamatani, Azumi and Utami taking on the Donna Del Mondo team of Micah, Natsupoi, and Himika. The first thing, Chris, that I notice, or the first thing that stands out to me is, there's no Momo on this card. No, there isn't. None at all. And, you know, I am I am made up for Sayakamatani because let's be perfectly honest, what a way to cap off what has been an extraordinary year for us. She's progressed hugely and now she is going to be wrestling at the Tokyo Dome. I mean that's sensational. Mm-hmm. Utami was always going to be on the card as the champion. I think you're daft not to put Mayu on because she's the icon of stardom. I think it's just very surprising that you've got Queen's Quest and no leader of Queen's Quest. Now do we read more into that? You know We've had Momo Watanabe, who we talked about the storyline of, you know, people have sort of been down on Momo recently, um, and then she lost, spoiler, um, at Osaka Dream Cinderella, um, where she didn't congratulate Utami for retaining. Um, Do we read into this, or is it just a case of we can't fit everyone on the card. I mean, it's not exactly storyline-driven, is it? Because the main feud in stardom at the moment is Mayu and Tam, and they're teaming. So, what do you think? Yeah, I think it does feel like we just needed to start. It feels like someone from New Japan who doesn't watch stardom decided on these cards. I'm not complaining, and ultimately, we're never going to see these matches because, you know, of television deals. Exactly, they're both dark matches. So we're never going to see them, so it's irrelevant, really. But it's excellent. It's excellent exposure for all of them. Like I said, I am made up for Sayakamitani being on this card. Something that I am surprised at, um, I mean, there is a stardom show on the 4th. So, Mm. you know... Obviously, that's probably why we haven't got any dark shows on uh, dark matches on the fourth. I am surprised we haven't got B Priestley in either of these matches. Yeah, it's probably because she'll be, of course, in um, Osprey down to the ring anyway. Isn't that night one though? Yeah, it is. Huh? Is it a day show? The Stardom show? I don't know off the top of my head. I'd have to have a look. But you know. <laughs> As we've said, you know, she's seen as sort of the crossover, um, sort of the stardom representative on New Japan telly. You know, New Japan fans are going to know B Priestley, so it's an easy link between the two. But yeah, not on the card. I mean, thank God it does mean a wee that I aren't on the card because fucking hell, they are shit at the moment. Um, you, don't, you don't want any hangings in the Tokyo Dome. This oh, isn't can you imagine? 
Can you imagine? Oh my god! Um, if they were allowed to scream, they would scream. <laughs> just frustration. Anyway, let's cut to some of these matches then. So let's cut first to Corican Hall, sixteenth uh, of December, in front of four hundred and seventy-one people. A couple of results then. Uh, opening match saw Starlight Kid defeating Lady C at five minutes forty, and then a three-way match with Gokukan Death defeating Konami and Ruaka at four minutes and thirty-one seconds. First match that we're actually going to talk about is the next match, match three, singles match between Mayo Iwatani and Saeeda, with Mayo Iwatani defeating Saeeda with a modified Boston Crab at nine minutes and two seconds. Chris, what did you think of this match? Um, for most of us, it feels, felt like May was playing with her feet. It did. It like, did, yeah. It felt like she had so much frustration and she did, was just taking it out on the, the child. Uh, which is bad for everyone. Although, Saida's hope spots were really good because she didn't actually get to pull much off. Like, even when she attempted a power slam, May didn't take the bump. Like, no bump, brother. Um, <laughs> I'm not bumpy for you, brother. Doesn't work for me, brother. <laughs> no, brother. No, none of that. I I, I win. Um, the chops will kill... Um, the kill those chops are getting much better from Ida. But, yeah. just It, it was fine. Like, Honestly, I expected this to be May whipping Eda around, and that's basically what I got, so no complaints. Yeah, it it was another star-making performance for Sayurida. She seems to get better and better, especially towards the tail end of this year. Every time I've seen her, she seems to have got better and better. Um, aside from whatever the cross-body reversal was supposed to be that May openly laughed at in the middle of this match, which really, really made me giggle. Um, yeah, I thought May bumped circles for Sayurida. Um, you know, you said initially, Chris, about how it was a case of Mayu playing with a food. She could end this when she wanted, but the longer it went on, you could see Mayu getting a little bit desperate, almost like she was like, I've I've waited too long here. I might have fucked this up. And Sayurida did really, really well, played that fiery underdog babyface really really well and to put on a match like that against the leader of your stable you know it's it's a high profile singles match even if it's not for a championship or anything like that and to perform in the way that she did i thought was fantastic i gave it a high seven chris yeah i was feeling like a high six or seven like it was good stuff but nothing that's gonna stick with you for after especially considering basically the next show is the big show of the year so Absolutely, absolutely. So let's move on to the semi-main of this show. Uh, just before that, we had the team of Rio and Sayakamatani defeating the Donna Del Mondo team of Himika and Micah at 10 minutes and 9 seconds. Uh, we have the Artist of Stardom Championship match next with the Cosmic Angels team of Mina Shokawa, Tam Nakano and Yunagi Sayaka defeating the champions, the Oida Tai team of B Priestley, Natsukatora and Saki Kashima at 18 minutes and 32 seconds. Chris, I... (laughs) (laughs) Wait. Wait. Okay. I'm not going to shit on Cosmic Angels. I'm not. Um, I I found uh, myself uh getting really, really behind Cosmic Angels. And that's Hmm. obviously what Stardom want. Are we no tie for... 
everything we do, everything we say about how boring, how bland, and how completely ineffectual they are as heels, they did their job here. They got over Cosmic Angels as a babyface unit, and I thought that worked really well. I thought it was great to give you Nagi the pinfall. You know, it's her first ever championship match, not just in stardom, but her first ever championship match. And the moment where she got the pinfall over Saki, you could just see she was completely overcome with emotion. And, you know, that's that's not fake. That is, that's real life. And we talked, it's a completely different thing, but we talked about how the best promo Julia ever cut was when she spoke from the heart, when she was honest, when she was herself, when she wasn't the character. And I think that speaks volumes here as well. I felt far more connection to Yunagi here, you know, being so overcome and winning this first championship than I have at any other point in her run. And, you know, the same for Mina. I thought Mina was really, really good here. The fact that she did play that person that was booted from pillar to post by Natsukatora and B especially. So, do I like the Cosmic Angels faction? No, I don't. I think they're bizarre and ridiculous. But here... <laughs> I don't understand it and I don't like it. <laughs> but here, I was fully behind them. This wasn't a bad match. It was enjoyable. It's certainly... The best comment or the best compliment that I can give it is this match went 18 minutes and 32 seconds and was between two of my least favourite units in stardom. And it didn't feel like 18 minutes and 32 seconds. That's probably the best thing that I can say about it, Chris. You're saying you were strapped in for the ride? Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and... Essentially in agreement with you. This was a fun little match. It wasn't anything mind-blowing. Honestly, the day where the blows my mind is the day I quit. But, <laughs> um, this actual match was fine. I think it's a bit of a shame that Saki had to take the pin, though. Yeah. No, I agree. She's been she's been the most entertaining member of OE the Tai for at least a month. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's face it, no other fuckers st- stepped up to the plate, have they? For, for at least a month. Well, let's put it... Before that, there was, there was just nothing. Mate, Konami lost in a three-way match with Gokik and Death. Yeah, I was I surprised you didn't rant about when you were going over it earlier. I'm not going to rant about it because I've seen the results for the year-end climax, so... Whatever. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> it's fine. I'm fine. Um... <laughs> I'm, I'm fine! <laughs> Um, but yeah, the as you said, the promo was like heartfelt. She afterwards, they all very clearly were very happy to be given this championship run, and like this early on in their stardom career. So yeah, and to be fair, they they defend them with vigor, like as we saw in Osaka Dream. So like, mm. I'm, I'm quite I'm on board for this Angels run. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd give it a, I much like the one before. I'd give it like a seven, maybe. I'm feeling a seven. Yeah, I'm feeling a middle of the road seven, which is which again, you've got Tam and effectively two rookies against really bland Oedatai, who, to be fair, they weren't shit in this match. They they did actually try. Uh, even though they completely took the edge off Cosmic Angels' celebration. I mean, Tora sitting on top of the ropes and saying, Why are you crying? You didn't win anything. Yes, they did, Tora. They just beat you. You can't Donald Trump it and say, Yeah, you didn't win. I won. 
No, no, you didn't, Tora. You didn't win. Yes, I did. And now B's going to talk. What is going on? It, we we we're known for our political commentary here on the Starving Cast. <laughs> <laughs> just just really really bizarre. Anyway, I'm not going to rant about it because uh, the next match was great. Um, oh, but the next match was fucking amazing. Yeah. Main event then was the prelude battle uh, between Suri and Momo Watanabe and Utami and Julia, with the team of Suri and Momo defeating. The champion team, Julia and Utami, at 23 minutes and 41 seconds with the buzzsaw kick. Um, it's not often this year that we've seen Julia take a pinfall, um, but she did here. She laid down for Suri. Yeah. Um, to be fair, you need to make sure he looks strong going into... Because um, we weren't going to get the win back at Osaka, spoilers, Julia, um, Suri's one down in the series with Julia, so this somewhat equals it up a bit. Um, this match was great. This match had one very simple goal, and that was um, established for stories going into Osaka, and it did it really well. Like basically, both te- because they're on the same faction, both teams have basically been r- having a little competition over who can get the most wins as teams. But now that they're against each other, they just got increasingly more aggressive. Some of the kicks thrown by well, basically both Momo and Shiri were fucking brutal. <laughs> they were. They were. Especially from Shiri. Shiri's a great kicker. She is. And it started as perhaps a little game of one-upmanship. And Mm -hmm. then there was a moment, it was about halfway through the match, when Shiri attempts to come into the ring to, I think, break up a Utami pinfall. And Julia just steps to her and fucking slaps the shit out of her. (laughs) Just one slap. And it It echoes around Corrigan. It's like, Jesus, this... This has just ramped up a little bit, and from there, it it really did. It was like one of those slaps Christian used to throw in TNA. Yes, yeah, it was actually like the one the ones he'd throw in like Samoa Joe and shit. He's a good slapper, as Christian. It's fairly surprising, <laughs> but um, yeah, just I hate I hate when a match is like this on one level because like there's not a ton to say. It just fucks. It was a it was a really good, hard hitting main event, and. Mm-hmm. If you weren't already excited about the main events of Osaka Dream Cinderella, which you should have been looking at them, then this certainly did because you've got Suri as a genuine threat to Julia and Momo was on top of Utami for a considerable amount of this match. Utami still got her moments. The fucking lariat that Utami can throw is insane. I mean, admittedly, she did lariat her own partner by accident, but... (laughs) It's like a proper meat hook, isn't it? It's great. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, this was really, really good. It's a high eight, easily match of the night. And it's the one match of these preliminary shows before Osaka Dream that I do actively encourage you to go and check out. It's a really, really, really good tag match, Chris. Yeah, this is great. Um, This would make it into my top, probably top 10 tag matches for stardom this year, so... Definitely got your way to check it out. It's not too long. Only like 20 something, 23 minutes. I have it in front of me. Um, absolutely amazing. Like, honestly, my stock with Shuri, I loved her before, but my stock after the last two matches here, she's went up immensely for me over the last couple of shows. She's one of my favorite wrestlers, um, not just in stardom, um, but of the year. Do you know, where she, do you know where she started her um, career? 
No, go on. Hustle. Really? <laughs> yeah, she started a career in Hustle. Oh, God. <laughs> She's done all I'm right despite that. Ho- I'm going to make you watch Hustle one day. I Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> what, you don't want to see Kawada dancing? Anyway, so... <laughs> abruptly move Abruptly on. move the fuck on. Um, the night before Osaka Dream, then, we had a show in Shizuoka on the 19th of December. Um... I'm just going to read through the results of this show because basically Corican was more the go-home show than this one and far more was put into place in that show than there was for this one. This was far more a house show than the Corican show was. So I'll just read through the results from this. It was in front of 188 people in the Shimizu Marine building. So Ruaka defeated Lady C in 5 minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, match two, a three-way match. Konami defeated Mina Shirakawa and Saya Ida in seven minutes and 39 seconds. <clears throat> uh, tag team match with Natsupoi and Suri defeating the Cosmic Angels of Tamnakano and Yunagi. Um, Riho and Stars, Mayu Iwatani and Starlight Kid, defeated the Oedetai team of B. Priestley, Natsu Katora and Saki Kashima by DQ, because of course they <laughs> fucking did. And then this show was main evented. Six-woman tag, Donna Del Mondo, Julia, Himika, and Micah defeating Queen's Quest, Momo, Saya Kamatani, and Yutami Ayashishita in 17 minutes and 27 seconds. And with that, let's move on to the main event of the evening, as Michael Buffer would say in WCW, uh, to Osaka Dream Cinderella from the 20th of December uh, from the Edian Arena, Osaka, in front of 1,027 people. A um, couple of things then, Chris, before we get into the show and delve into some of these matches. Um, first thing, the production, graphics, it all looked cleaner, it all felt bigger, you felt that this was a big show. The camera angles, the commentary, um, the graphics in the corners, everything seemed a far higher spec than certainly Sendai Cinderella and, you know, Yokohama Cinderella as well. Yeah, that's the thing. It felt as well produced as, say, like a Noah show or a New Japan show. And just everything naturally flowed into each other, the graphics and screen looked great, the entrances were shot beautifully. Like, every match sort of felt like a big deal, well, apart from the tag matches in the middle, but, like, apart from that, um, everything felt like a big deal, everything was sort of given the gravitas that it deserves. And also, that ramp was fucking great. <laughs> I'm a fan of a good ramp. Um, the, the thing that sort of stood out to me, and it's a really small thing, it's the bell... At the start of every match, you had the pan out and the zoom in. It was mm-hmm. exactly like they do for New Japan. So yeah, I was saying when I was watching this TV, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if they got some of the New Japan staff on this. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Would not surprise me at all. Now, the attendance, 1,027 people. Now, this has been debated on Twitter as to whether... People should, we, you know, stardom should be happy with that number. And people are throwing out New Japan as the comparison for that. So the last show that New Japan 
ran at the Edian Arena was Power Struggle, and that was in front of 2,834 people. There's no point for me comparing stardom to New Japan. You have got a Joshi promotion that's, you know, that's 1,027 people is just short of a big Corican crowd, which is what stardom runs. So to draw that many people in a pandemic is fantastic. New Japan, whether people like it or not, are the biggest wrestling promotion in Japan and are probably the third biggest wrestling promotion in the world. So they're obviously going to draw more people. Now, if you look at um, the Big Japan show that ran, um, they managed to draw 1,031 people to their 25th anniversary Osaka event. So there's, what, five people between that? Um, Dragon Gate, on the 3rd of November, managed to draw just above that, so 1,800 people. Um, All Japan ran that and managed to get 400... Oh, no, it was Eddie and Arena 2. Fair enough. Um, The N1, that was in front... Oh, it doesn't say. But (laughs) if you compare that to a a big Japan show as opposed to a new Japan show, that's a decent crowd. And I feel Mm. like that is something they should be comparing it to as opposed to trying to compare it to a New Japan show, because New Japan run Eddie and Arena all the time, and again, they are a far more popular wrestling promotion, not just in Japan, but worldwide. They are going to draw more people. So, yeah, I do think 1,027 people is alright. I don't think it's mind-blowing, but I think it's very good, and I think it's a good start. When you consider they drew 500 people to Sendai, and let's not forget as well that this is not only double that, I know it's a bigger venue, but it's not only double that, but at least this crowd is fucking awake. I'm looking at the Big Japan show right now, and you know what I think might have put out, um, the, this match over the top would have been a scaffold death match. Well, there you go. How do you, comp- how do you compete with that? <laughs> Like, on, honestly, I kind of want to see that now. Of course you do. Of course you do. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's delve into this card then. So we opened with the Future of Stardom Championship match with Saya Ida defeating the champion Micah and Saya Kamatani at 8 minutes and 19 seconds with a brain buster. Chris, what did you think of this match? Um, I thought it was really fun. Like, really fluid opener. Like, everyone got their big spots in. The I keep forgetting how like jacked Eda is. Like, she is really, really jacked. Sn- yeah, and it's not this match. It really snuck up on you because she wasn't <laughs> jacked at the start of the year. She's just been slowly getting more. You know what? Like um, when you haven't had a haircut or a while, or you, you haven't trimmed your beard in a while, and you just one day notice how long it is. Yeah, it's, it was. It's kind of like that. Um, I'm glad that Eda now has a brain buster, like an actual finish. Because it's a decent enough brain buster for the first time pulling it out. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's that impact finisher we were talking about. Yeah, like, it's what she needed, and she has a... Every, again, everyone looked fine. Um, I Like, there were some weirdly big bumps taken in this one for uh, for such a 
enough, well, not enough an opener, but it's for a future stardom championship. So I d- you wouldn't expect people to take as big a bump. What got me, though, was the rule change afterwards. Can you just announce, I want this to happen with the championship, and then that's it. But it's rules now. Um, Apparently, that is how you change the rules of championships. Don't forget, that's what Suri did at the end of Sendai. Was it Sendai Cinderella with B Priestley? Uh, to, be, to be completely fair with Suri, I'm still defending that decision because she gave her reason of, I'm basically defending it as a both Japanese and Philippine nationality, so Jap- more Japanese people can go in. It's still somewhat within the spirit of the rules of the championship, whereas this, she's just like, we need more time, and I get it's part of an act of ethic for stardom to actually have reasons to defend their belt, as opposed to here, where we've just had the same three people going after the belt since, what, June? Yeah, so... and that would be an issue. With Sayurida now coming up to over two years, uh, mm. Micah coming up to that. Sai Kamatani has still got a year or just over a year, just under a year, sorry. So what are you going to have? Sai Kamatani versus Rina for the next two years? No, you've got to do this. It makes it makes far more sense. And not only that, but this way you can have um, Yunagi go for the belt. You can have Mina Shirakawa go for the belt. Even someone like a Himika. I think it's far below Himika, and I don't think she should do that. But, you know, it's an option. There are options there. Whereas you hamstring yourself unnecessarily by keeping it at two years. Mm-hmm. Um, especially yeah. if you're looking to do more of these big shows where the future of Stardom Championship is going to be defended more. Because you're absolutely right. It wasn't defended a lot when people no, like Starlight Kid held it or Utami held it. So now that it's being defended more, you need to have more people going for it. Because you're right, you can't just have the same three people in different variations going for the belt. Yeah. I will say this is much better than the three-way that crowned the champion. Because that was an absolute clusterfuck. I think the rule set really hamstrung them. Yeah, because it was just a weird rule set, wasn't it? Whereas here, it's just a normal triple threat match. Unnecessarily Um, complex, yeah. Unnecessary. It's like the tag league. It's like, just because you're different doesn't mean you're different. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, um. Yeah, just it was a fine opener. Six out of ten. Yeah, I gave it six as well. Um, it was full of fire, and there was a real passion around it, which instantly elevates the belt. If people want to fight for it, then it's going to elevate the belt. If people don't give a shit, no one is going to give a shit. So it was good to see all three women really give it the role. Um, Sayrida pulling out completely different things now, which is brilliant. Um, the the went there's something went wrong with the sunset flip powerbomb where she sort of went to pin Micah, and then Micah just sort of didn't move. It was all very all very weird. And then on the Brain Buster, she was so... I don't know if you noticed this, but Saya was so passionate about the pinfall, she actually picked up Saya Kamatani, so her shoulders weren't on the mat. But who the fuck cares? Because it was such a feel-good moment for her. And then the really impassioned, if not a little bit too intense a promo... Um, <laughs> Afterwards, this is, sure, this is like Shiri and the Cinderella levels of <laughs> um, passionate to the point of annoyance. What she said was beautiful. You know, it makes perfect sense. You know, no matter where you come from, no matter what you do, it, it did make you feel a little bit sorry for her because the stuff she was saying about how, you know, or what she was comparing herself to, you, you did feel really quite sorry for her. So, you know... To be able to cut that impassioned promo again, even though I think it did sort of come across as a little bit 
Whoa. Um, it was nice to see, and I'm over the moon for Sayurida. I think Micah has outgrown this championship now. We've talked for episodes after episodes about how well Micah has been packaged, how well Micah has been looked after, considering she is effectively still, you know, a rookie, sort of. Um, and obviously that would be, you know, explained later on in the show. I think she's ready to be elevated to the next level, Chris. Yeah, I agree. Match two then. Um, in fact, you know what? I'm going to lump these two matches together <laughs> into one review. So I'll read out the results. Match two was the Awida Tai team of Konami and Natsukatora defeating Riho and Ruaka at seven minutes and five seconds with the Triangle Lancer. And match three was Himipoi defeating B Priestley and Saki Kashima at 11 minutes and five seconds with the running powerbomb. Um, so, Chris, did Oida Tai cover themselves in glory at this show for you? <laughs> I just stopped caring when they came on. I was texting you, I'm just going to skip these and then get back to it later. And then I watched them anyway. And eh, they, were f- they, they, were, they didn't actively annoy me. I actually ended up actively liking the second one. I enjoyed the um at the sequences between Natsupoi and Saki, I still think Saki should be in the high speed division because they're doing nothing else with her. Mm. But yeah, other than that, I just didn't really think <laughs> on these matches. Like the one of those matches were like there's two reasons why I wouldn't take notes for a match. Either I'm so into it that um I just forget to take notes or I have nothing to say. I have very little notes for either of these matches. The first match was was fairly standard, but mm-hmm. what I don't understand is are we decide, you know, cheating to win, fine. It it's a heel trope, I don't mind that. Why did they need to cheat against Ruwaka? That doesn't teach really for, teach for younger than the lesson. Yeah, I mean, mate, like, if I Konami was... can't beat Ruaka without a chair shot to the back from Tor, it doesn't exactly paint Oida Tai in glory, does it? Yeah, I we won. You hit cut... a 16-year-old with a fucking chair. I don't need to cut corners in Mario Kart to beat my niece. I still do it. Well, you're a bellend. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible person. Um, I don't know, it was just... It didn't need to happen. I would understand the interference more in the second match because mm. you've got Himika, who has had a tremendous year. You've got Natsupoi, who's a very, very, very competent wrestler against, you know, a team of established Oedetai. I just don't understand why you would do it with the chair against Ruaka. It, it, it painted them as not heelish, just chumps and... That's that's the issue. Nonsensical booking. Otherwise, the match was fine. I thought Ruaka had a very good showing. The second match, I agree with you. I thought the second match was by far the superior match of the two. I think Natsupoi and Saki had some great moments. I think Natsupoi's sliding drop kick to B Priestley was tremendous. It felt like I could hear B Priestley's face shatter. And again, it painted Himika as a dominant, dominant person. Even though... B. Priestley and Saki Kashima had some genuine sort of plan going forward, which is something that Oida Tai seem to lack completely whenever they go into matches because they targeted the knees of Himika. Perfect. 
fell the giant. That's exactly what you should do when you're faced with someone like that. Um, ultimately, Himika won, but that's why I don't mind this match. I don't mind this match at all. So I gave the Konami and Natsukatora match five. I gave this one six. I gave um, the same, except I gave the first one four. Okay. Just before we get on to the high-speed championship match, I'm going to be drawing a lot of parallels between this show and uh, the Yokohama Cinderella show because, spoiler alert, they are my two favourite shows of the year. And they are the most similar shows of this year for stardom. Um, when you look at the undercard for this show, and I know we talked about how you know people like Konami and Himika are in throwaway tag matches on the undercard, I still think the undercard of this show is better than the undercard at Yokohama Cinderella. Because even though you opened with that tremendous Azumi versus Starlight Kid match, you then had the Mina Shirakawa squash match. You had the uh, Natsu Samir and Unimanas match, which was an absolute fucking dumpster fire. So I think this, compared to Yokohama Cinderella, this has a better undercard than that did, Chris. Um. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, basically, the only two matches that you'd have to sort of grit your teeth with uh, the Arata Time matches. Beyond that, it's all really good stuff. Yeah, and they, they're competent matches. They aren't bad matches. It's just no. the finish to the second one, which confused and annoyed me a little bit. <laughs> Let's move on then. Match four was the high-speed championship match with Azumi, the champion, defeating Marvelous's Mei Hoshizuki, the current Sendai Girls Junior Heavyweight Champion, at 10 minutes and 31 seconds with the flash pin, or with a flash pin, I should say. Now, I have a feeling, Chris, that me and you are going to differ slightly on this match. I'm going to ask you a really, really important question, okay? But I'm going to wait until you've said your piece, because I know you were really high on this match. Oh, I really enjoyed this match. Um, I do like that this story is basically, we're going to try to give each other a concussion. I, I, I enjoy that as a story. Um, <laughs> the they sort of both had to learn the hard way where you don't drop, um, don't throw drop kicks on the outside. Mm, definitely, fucking hell. Yeah, Jesus. But um, what I like about high speed matches is that they norm because they're normally like sub five minutes and end on a roll up. It means these roll up sequences that would just be annoying in any other big match because it's like it's not going to end on a roll up. You're on the edge of your seat for because it's for high speed title. It could happen. Um, this no, I didn't have time to take notes in this one. <laughs> we were moving too fast. <laughs> how it, it all, but none of it felt forced. But they all sort of flowed into each other. That Hurricane Rana through the ropes is fucking incredible, and it's one of the reasons I like Stardom because you can only really do it when you're. What? How tall is Azumi? She's like four only foot five something. foot, isn't she? I think she's she's either high four five foot one. or low five. She's five one. Um, so yeah, you couldn't like imagine if like Okada attempted to do <laughs> spike himself, like he, yeah, he'd neck himself. Um, so like it's that's kind of like well, like the high speed division, it's something you could only really do well with a roster like this. And then May, May Hoshi, I can never say Hoshi, Hoshizuki, May, May, I'm just gonna say May. Um, May was great here too, like she. Clearly likes her dropkicks, as displayed in the six man here and in some of the matches um, sent to us by someone in our Discord. Felkish. And yes, and 
she's just great. And I hope to see her more. I hope Sam does more of Marvelous because it means I can see the Marvelous people without having to add another promotion to my watch list. I thought there was an interesting story being told in this match. Um, there was, you know, don't forget Azumi challenged me for this match. And there was initial mm-hmm. respect, but it's clear from how she wrestles Azumi to start off with that she thinks that she can get this done easily. You know, she's cynical, vicious, um, especially with that aforementioned Hurricane Rana through the ropes, which is just, it's just so fucking cool. Um, but May is really, really resilient and kicks out of fucking everything that Azumi can throw at her. And she breaks several arm breaker attempts. She even kicks out of the Azumi Sushi. And when she kicks out of the Azumi Sushi, you actually see the point in Azumi's eyes where she realises she's in potential trouble. And she needs to do something quickly because she hasn't got anything left in her arsenal that she can throw at May that May hasn't already kicked out of. So then you go into the desperation flash pins. You've got Azumi desperately trying to put Mei Hoshizuki away before she, who has just been, for lack of a better word again, resilient, has just been waiting for her opportunity before May can cover her for the pin. So then you've got that fantastic flash pin um, sequence, which, yes, went a little bit too long, but otherwise... It was great, and we had some of the closest two counts I've seen this side of the G1 Climax final. Um, but eventually, Azumi, of course, does get um, that one to stick and to win and to retain a championship. But she shakes May's hand at the end, and she clearly understands that she shouldn't have taken her so lightly to begin with. It was a simple story. It was a good... It was an action-packed story. 10 minutes and 31 seconds. Really, really action-packed, really, really enjoyed this. And I thought, like you said, Chris, Mei Hoshizuki gave a really, really, really good account of herself. The question now is, which did you prefer? Azumi versus Mei Hoshizuki from this show or Azumi versus Starlight Kid from Yokohama Cinderella? I like them both for different reasons, but like I think I'm on, object- on an object- bleh, objective level, the Starlight Kid match is better. You can't really match that chemistry because they've been paired off with each other for basically their whole career. It's like the Really mm. and Hiromu thing where they never have a bad exchange with each other because they just know each other inside out. Agreed. I I think this was a really, really good match. A high 8 out of 10. But I think the Starlight Kid match was better. I agree. That's not a dispersion on this match. You oh, Lord, no. I, I can't... Again, it's a chemistry you can't really match with someone. Like, they're just each other's eternal foils at this point. So, um, this was initially just an elimination match, but with Cosmic Angels capturing the Artist of Stardom titles from Oida Tai at Corrigan, it became an Artist of Stardom title elimination match. So we actually had the Cosmic Angels team of Mina Shirakawa, Tam Nakano and Yunagi defeat the Stars team of Gokikin Death, Mayu Iwatani and Starlight Kid at 14 minutes with Mina Shirakawa being the sole survivor. Now Chris, the booking of this match was almost there. It was it was so close to being there. But it suffered from a few 
nonsensical nonsensical booking you, decisions and you could say it died a death well i mean no okay do you know what doesn't add to the drama of this match that's been built up rubbing some fucking clown on it <laughs> Pour I... some clown on me. <laughs> in the name of stars um i just it didn't make one lick of sense. I mean, you've got the five people in the ring. You've got Mayu, Starlight, and Cosmic Angels who have had this feud. And the entire feud, they even referenced it in the fucking promo afterwards. The entire thing was them and Sai Rida. So. But Sai was busy that night, so. I completely understand we... that. I completely understand that. Eat? Make it a tag match. Make it a yeah. tag match and then have the next installment later on, like they did with um, the Captain's Fall match between Awida Tai and Tokyo Savage. I know that this is your big show. I am perfectly I'm perfectly aware of that. But I would rather have it be a tag match than have a comedy character in this sort of match. Because not only was she the comedy in this match, she got two pinfalls. Yeah. She did. To be fair, wasn't one of them an over-the-top rope elimination? Yeah, but even so, I mean, yeah, it, it made no sense. Having Mina as the sole survivor on Cosmic Angels team made all the sense in the fucking world, and I will talk to you about that in a minute. But what did you think <laughs> about this match? Um, I'm not sure how much I liked. Like, I enjoyed aspects of it, but the whole thing, I was sort of like baffled. I was sitting there pizza crunch in hand thinking what the fuck is going on and yeah i just don't know like the moments are great anything between tam and mayu is great because they just know what they're doing with each other shirakawa is getting better and better each time i watch her unagi was there um <laughs> and then you have death who like i don't know if there was like a really like, say this was Star Wars, and there was this really intense lightsaber battle, say, like, Rey and Kylo Ren from Episode 7, and then Mr. Tumble was just sitting in the fucking corner. It would sort of take you out of it, wouldn't it? It would be like, if you watch The Phantom Menace, and, you know... I'd rather not. Why the fuck would you? <laughs> but the only decent bit of that film, the only decent bit of that film, is to have Darth Maul... Quagon Jin and Obi-Wan Kenobi have that kick-ass lightsaber fight. Agreed, Chris? That's the only decent bit of that film. The now imagine... Eh, imagine <laughs> having Obi-Wan Kenobi substituted out for Jar Jar fucking Binks. Jar Jar. Well, if you sub Qui-Gon out for Jar Jar, and then Jar Jar dies. I mean... Does that have the same fucking effect? No, of course it doesn't. But then to have Goki can death as the last person eliminated makes no sense. Any, anyway, anyway, I'm not going to rant about this. It made sense for Yunagi to be the first one um, to get the pinfall and then to be eliminated because, you know, she was she's the new blood. She's the person that's been brought in. She's the one who all the focus has been on. You know, she was ZZ or ZZ or whatever you wanted to call her. She was the person that, again, bought in and she was effectively the straw that broke the camel's back. So it makes sense that they team up on her. 
I'm 99% sure that the Tam Nakano um, elimination was a botch. I'd, I think she was supposed to be eliminated, but I think it was supposed to be slightly later on, and I don't think it was with the move that she was supposed to be, that she was eliminated with. I think Mina missed her cue to break it up. Did you see you that? Think... I. It's certainly not against the realms of possibility. I'm honestly not sure. I'm Now that you said it, I'm going 50, back and forth on it in my mind. However, Mina Shirakawa was the person that was bought into stars by Tam. The start of all this was because of Mina. So you've got Mina Shirakawa in Mayu and Starlight's mind, the person that has driven a wedge between Tam and stars against the team of Mayu, Starlight and Goki. And Mayu and Starlight, don't forget, who she fought tooth and nail to get their respect during the tag league and who Mayu was so dismissive of, and you know I love Mayu, but in this they did such a good job of making Mayu and Starlight the heels, which is just tremendous, it was really 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 good booking, and ultimately Mayu and Starlight got eliminated because of their own arrogance, not because of Mina's in-ring chops or because of anything Cosmic Angels did but because of their own complacency and that's sort of been this whole story. They they just assume they're going to beat Cosmic Angels. And yeah, we can talk until the cows come home about the fact that Gokikin Death versus Mina Shirakawa should never in a billion years have been the last bit. It should have been Starlight and Mina or Mayu and Mina. In my opinion, it should have been, if you're going to do that, if you're going to have Mina eliminate all three, it should have been Mayu last because I think that blow would have struck the best. I think that blow would have struck the hardest. Because ultimately, Mayu is stars. And then for her yeah. to be the final hurdle for Mina to overcome, I think it just would have been so much better. Because there's only, again, there's only so much drama you can glean, no matter how well May, uh, Mina's done. And don't get me wrong, immediately after Tam's elimination, there were some fucking horrendous botchy bits. But looking past that, because you can argue that Mina's nervous because of the fact that she's now on her own. So we can put it down to that and not just the fact that something went wrong. All of that drama um, is sucked up by the fact that you've got a clown in a cheap clown outfit fighting for the future of stars. For me, that took me completely out of the end of what was a well-booked story. Not necessarily a well-booked match. You know, the match is, is there. It's, it's nothing great. The story, however, is so close to being there. Um, what I will say about this match is it did something a match should never do, and that's give me hope and then dash it. Because there was a bit where we did a double team, and instead of doing the back fist, she did like a rolling elbow, and it didn't look bad. And then later in the match, she just did a back fist again. Oh my god! <laughs> well, it's quite funny For you mentioned that second, actually, because I in the semi main, yeah, in the semi main, Shuri teaches her how to do it properly. Yeah, yeah, she did. It was great. I, I love a back fist. It's my favorite kind of strike. <laughs> um, the promo off happens afterwards. Then with it was weird, wasn't it? It was intense. It was. It was. Let's put it this way: you could cut the tension with a knife. Um, Tam announced that Cosmic Angels will be leaving to form their own unit as opposed to a subunit of Stars. Um, Mayu then condemns her as her enemy, 
and says that she shouldn't they shouldn't be satisfied by beating her and Kid via over the top rope disqualification. Um so, you know, going full heel in the fucking process. Starlight Kid says that her, Mayu, and Sayurida will take the belts when they return in January to the Edian Arena. So that's that set up, though that's not going to be happening, and I'll talk to you about that in a moment as to why that's not going to happen. Um What did you think about this promo? What did you think about the overall storyline? What do you see in the immediate future of Cosmic Angels? Are we going to have more people joining? Are we going to keep them as a threesome? What is going to happen, Chris? I think we'll slowly expand. I think we're going to make more signings. Like, Saddam right now seems to be making more signings as opposed to bringing in, like, loads of rookies. Mm. Like, well, we are bringing in rookies, but we're bringing in, like, established rookies from Tokyo Joshi, mostly. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. I think they just wanted another place to put in new signings because with TCS gone, there was nowhere really to put people in, especially since... Hopefully you'll be having more Gaijins coming back in soon, so you need places to put them. Maybe with five factions going around that we can actually finally have Rio in a fucking faction. Because she seems to just be Stardom's intern at this point. (laughs) Stardom's intern. Yeah, she's there to make the coffee. She makes a very weak coffee. Um, Yeah, in terms of where it's going, I literally don't know. I think... Um, year and climax is sort of on a monkey wrench <laughs> into the works. In more ways certain... than one. Yeah. Um, to be I only know one thing from end year climax. The rest of it's going to be a the rest of it's going to be a complete surprise for me at the end of this podcast. So stay tuned for that. I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I after if you'd have asked me this without knowing big things happened at end year, I wouldn't. I would just assume. It, they'd beat, they'd go like head to head with stars for the next few months, but you know, monkey wrenches happened. So, who knows? Who the fuck knows anymore? Anything's possible. Time's an illusion. Again, thank you to I think it was Valkish in the Discord who um, and Niagara Drive. There was quite a few actually who talked about how this has sort of been building for a while between Tam and Mayu, um, and me and you, Chris, talked about how we couldn't really see the. The motivation of Tam, especially. Um, but with that backstory of how Tam was shunted um, and how, you know, she's always been sort of overlooked by Mayu. Um, she was overlooked this year in Tag League because she teamed with Starlight Kid. She was overlooked the year before because Mayu teamed with Saki Kashima. Tam has always been overlooked. She was picked after Arisa, and then that led to that feud. So, do you buy. This is the big question, basically. Do you buy stars as the heels? Um, time will tell. I think Mayo definitely has the range. What I'm really worried about is a death. I don't think she's capable of emotions, and also Starlight. She's a bit too baby faced. It's like um, I don't. Know, I think for someone like Starlight, she'd have to start going brutal for me to believe her as a heel. Like, um, you know, Takeshi Marishima. Uh, yes. I, I swear to God, I'm making a point here. Um, like, he's very, like, pudgy baby-faced, right? He needed to go fucking dropping people on the head brutal for people to buy him as a monster or as a heel. And I think Starlight might have to, like, go through Nick Gage. 
I, bring I, light tubes. I disagree <laughs> with light tubes. Oh my God, star light tube kid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yes, thank you. That is. I was getting introduced to my um, Fire Pro Universe Road straight away. I <laughs> like kid, I call champion. Uh, Nick Cage and Necro Butcher trading the championship all year. It's going to be great. I don't. I don't think that needs to be the case. I. You've got Mayu, who is basically just being an all-out dickhead, and all Starlight needs to do is effectively be that kid that sort of peeks out from behind Mayu and goes, "Yeah." Or just be the dismissive twat that she is being, which is great. She's just, you know, she refuses to acknowledge Yunagi, which is absolutely fantastic. She, The dead eyes that she gives to Mina Shirakawa is tremendous. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a chair-wielding psychopath to be a heel. Because, you know... Stars are ultimately your uber baby faces. You know, you don't need to turn the job lot heel to make this angle work. You know, you just deliver a storyline like this and sort of have the motivations there. And now that we've got more motivation from Tam, it makes more sense. And Mayu is playing to it very, very well. I agree with you. I think the further Goki can death is away from this storyline, the better, because she's completely handicapped by having the the gimmick of a clown. You can't do an emotional storyline when you're dressed as a clown. So the sooner Sayurida is reintroduced into the storyline, the better, because I don't think we're done with that at all. You know, not just the title match that's supposed to be happening in January, but them trying to poach Sayurida. I don't think we're done with yeah. that yet. Um, nah. But I think, Say- I think Starlight Kid is coming on as a heel. You know, again, she doesn't have to be a heel for the entire time, just a heel in this storyline. And I think she's doing a good enough job of it. Yeah, I've just introduced the light tubes and we're perfect. <laughs> what did you give it, stars-wise? Um, you know, right, I didn't rate it, because I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I can't decide if I like it or not. I compared it, and again, Yokama Cinderella... I compared it to the Awila Tai versus Tokyo Cyber Squad match. Oh, that was much better. I think that was better, but that wasn't great in ring either. It had the one no, spot. But like, um, no, but like for the most part, it didn't have to be. That wasn't the point of the match. And also, like the booking of that match. Like my problem here isn't the in ring action. My problem here is the booking of it. Yeah, I don't. Don't get me wrong. The storyline in the Tokyo Cyber Squad match was better than this because they made some in this match, as we've said four or five times, they made some really, really standout booking faux pas. So faux pas, faux pas, fox pass, faux pas. Let's call it faux pas. Um, <laughs> you know, in the whole go kicking death thing and things like that. So I'm still giving it six because mm-hmm. I think there is enough of a storyline there to keep me captivated. There was just a couple of things that I'd have that I'd have changed, like eliminating Goki and Firth and, and leaving Mayu to be that final obstacle Mina has to overcome. Because not only is that a better story point, it's metaphorical for everything she had to overcome in the tag league. Just makes more sense. 
Let's move on then to the semi-main event, which was the double championship match, the SWA Undisputed World Women title and the Wonder of Stardom title match, which ended in a 30-minute time limit draw between Julia and Sayuri. Um, Chris, what did you think of this match? Oh, it's fucked. This is absolutely great. Um, just Sayuri, great throwing kicks like no one's business and then Julia who uh, okay I'll go on to it in a second because the beginning like the technical start I was surprised by how good that was like I know Shiri is like an actual MMA fighter and all that but like Julia I never really see her as a grappler like I know she throw I know she shoots for submissions but I don't see her as like a chain wrestler but like here she was very natural in it like there was a trip up at one point I was like oh that was a lovely piece of that's some Kurt Angle shit right there I'm into it and then the, the kicks started, and it was great. And Julia Driver on the ramp, that was also great. We tried to kill each other. I'm, I'm into that. I'd have liked you, and this would be a perfect match. I really enjoyed it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. For the same, for the same reason as you. Um, both women poured absolutely everything into this match. Um, the stakes and the thought of losing to the stablemates was just too strong in the end for them to carry on with it being a whole, let's just did put you, on a great main event. Did you notice when they were run, try, they were like struggling to go back to the ring after the glorious driver on the, um, the ramp, on the ramp that um, <laughs> Julia threw Micah at Shiri. <laughs> I did, it was great. Micah came over to check if Julia was all right and Julia threw her into Shiri. It was great. <laughs> like, oh, thanks, fucker. Jesus Christ. It was amazing. Oh, I like some out four guys. <laughs> I loved as well that you'd got thirty minutes is a long time to wrestle, and mm-hmm. I do think that I know that obviously it needed to go to the thirty minutes. I think thirty minutes was slightly too long for this match, but I really enjoyed the fact that in that first twenty-five minutes. Julia and Suri threw everything that we would expect them to throw at each other, at mm-hmm. each other. You know, we had the Julia drivers, we had the Sazanka, we had the things that we'd usually see in a match between these two. And then as the match wore on, as we got to that five-minute left ma- uh, call, we'd got both women exhausted, desperate to A, not lose, and B, just to get themselves some, some space between them and the other person in the ring so you've got that horrendous looking sit-out package pile driver um because even though that was horrendous and looked awful um Ooh, yeah how suri didn't end up injured after that is beyond me but the fact that julia had to try something completely different was exhausted and ultimately didn't do it right <laughs> it played into the whole i've got to try something different because you know, we're stablemates. We know everything about each other. We've got to pull something different out to win this match. And ultimately, both women are too similar, know each other's moves too well, and have the same fire and determination that they couldn't get the winning for. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely incredible stuff. And I'm start- I'm coming around on Julia more and more. She seems fairly divisive in our Discord. Like, some people seem to be on, like, our side where we've come around to her, and some are still kind of not there yet. 
Like, I do agree she's not like perfect yet, but I feel like she's getting good enough to justify the title reign. Yeah, one hundred percent. She's only really had one miss, and that was the Konami match. Although, um, I know some people really don't like the Tam match, the first one from like August. I've come around to Julia massively, and I mm. actually, I actually enjoyed the Konami match at Sendai Cinderella, and I'll, I'll stand by that. I really enjoyed it, and this <laughs> match was great. You know. <laughs> Yeah, there was a couple of botchy moments. Who cares? You know, it's going to happen. If it doesn't affect the overall story of the match, then I don't care. It's like the previous match, the Cosmic Angels match. There was loads of botches, but ultimately it didn't take away from the overall narrative, so it doesn't bother me. Um, If I don't have to hear another Julia headbutt ever again, that'd be great. Oh, Christ. If you think that, never watch... uh, um... Never watch an eruption match in DBC. You can hear those headbutts. It just doesn't need to happen. Just does not need to happen. I Um, I think, like, I used to hate it in a post battle world, but I was like, ah, they're probably doing it safely. And then, like, post battle, I'm like, no, please stop. Just never do that again. That's the thing. You've got Ishii, for example, who is a hard fucker, and he'll just headbutt someone, you know, the collarbone. Just Mm -hmm. headbutt that, because it adds nothing. It just it makes everyone who remembers what happened to Shibata, it just makes our arseholes collectively clench and go, please don't do that again. And it was a it was a good way to end the match in the fact that Julia had to pull out something like that and then both women collapsed and then the bell went, which was great. You know, neither woman could get the upper hand on either to the point where neither was standing at the end of the time limit, which I thought was a nice touch. But we just we don't need to drag that spot out it's a spot i don't like in any wrestling and you know mm. we've seen why it shouldn't happen you know yeah. many 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 times um this is one of the few where uh, starter matches that Meltzer's actually rated and he gave it four and a half stars chris so mm-hmm. uh taking it as a you know com- converting it to the far more prestigious Podmania or <laughs> stardom cast rating scale that will be a nine on the uh on the old stardom cast rating scale. Where do you sit on it, Chris? Um, on my chair. Um, I'm feeling about a nine for this one as well. I did really, really enjoy it. Um, I do agree that 30 minutes, like we didn't perfectly pace it. Like in the last few minutes, we were kind of just going through the motions until the time limit has ended. It's like they planned it to end like two minutes earlier, mm. but then they just did certain sections a bit too fast. So they had to rush back into it. Um, I could never, I could never see Julie do a package power driver again and sleep happy. No, but no one's <laughs> gonna get their neck broken. But like, since no one got hurt, it added to the like most. A lot of my favorite matches have botches like that, like Naito versus Omega at the G One Finals, where um now gets DDT'd into the post or um. Oh, there's another one. It's left my mind. But yeah, it happens and everyone's fine. So we're fine. <laughs> I'd give it a nine as well. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, certainly one of Julia's best matches in the company. I'd say definitely top three. I'd say, in fact, probably second behind a match with Tam at Yokohama Cinderella. I really enjoyed that, but only because of the rivalry between the two. I think in ring, this match was better. It's third for me after the five-star time match and the Yokohama time match. But again, that's got the benefit of having that story behind it, hasn't it? Yeah, and also a 20-minute time limit. 
yeah, there is that. We then move on then to our main event, the World of Stardom Championship match with the champion, Yutami Hayashishita, defeating Momo Watanabe in 24 minutes and 26 seconds with the Crucifix Bomb. Um, most important thing about this match, Chris, was that Mayu was on commentary. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there was that. I, 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 can't tell, uh, I can't tell you what kind of insights there was. <laughs> no, obviously not. Um, what do you think about this match? Um, I thought it started off a tad slow, but then a bee driver happened to unexposed concrete, and it's like, well, I guess this match fucks now. Because uh, after that, we just sort of started hitting each other with increasingly um, big moves. It was like kind of like the Zeus versus Miyahara match from the Champion Stop! Stop it! I keep forgetting you do it, and then I meant, fuck you. Um, but the match itself was just the how much more desperate Momo got as time went on. Like, um, after the Uranagi off the top, great stuff. And then, just shows you how perfect it is to protect a finisher. Again, back to the Miyahara Zeus comparison, is that um, she kicked up a pizza and rice, and that, like, never happened. And, oh my god, I... I I fucking blew my leg because it's like, ah, no, that never happens. We're in uncharted territory now, boys. What? What? Um, Utami, I'm never going to get sick of the deadlift Germans. Because it's not even like, well, like Akira Tozawa where he does it quickly. She's ragdolling whoever she's um, deadlifting about before she hits the German. It's great. Um, this surpassed my expectations i expected it to be good but it's runner for starter match of the year now like maybe top definitely top 10 approaching top five maybe this was fucking great for me i completely agree with you um these two women had tremendous chemistry as you know you would hope they would considering they spend a lot of time wrestling together um everything they did was brilliant. It started slowly and built and built and built. And you add that crescendo moment of the B driver on the concrete. And then they just seem to pick out these moments, like being hit with the tequila sunrise, then the peach sunrise. And then the moment that you're absolutely right. This is the beauty of having a secondary finisher and not using the peach sunrise every single match. And then when it does happen, no one kicks out of that. Nobody to have you, Tommy kick out of it because once she hit that peach sunrise, I was like, she's not going to win. Surely. And then Yutami kicks out at the last possible moment. And what does Momo do? She screams. She just beats, just frantically beats oh, yeah, she... at Yutami. Just brilliant. A, a switch flipped at that moment. She's like, fuck. Like, it's like, die. Die already. <laughs> it, to be honest, though, Chris, too many times when someone's kicked out of a finisher, we automatically just go to the next move in the sequence. Mm. Here, there was genuine surprise confusion and then anger rage and desperation she didn't know how she clearly didn't know where to go from there because no one kicks out of a peach sunrise and that is such a simple thing to do you know it's such a simple thing to do not to finish spam in a match and then we get moments like this because not only did it make the storyline better it made you tommy like a fucking force it was great and Yutami here was tremendous. She carried herself like a champion. She looked like a champion. I, I, was, n- I was never in doubt 
as to what Utami will be like as champion. But you are coming off the back of a Mayu reign where it seemed like every single title defence was a potential match of the year candidate, spanning all the way back to January against Momo. So there is a little bit of inherent pressure to follow that. And you're like, is it going to be as good as Mayu's reign? I don't care now. That match was tremendous. Fantastic. And I loved every single... the That move, that transition from the torture rack into the Meteora. Oh my god. Was that the smoothest transition ever? It looked great. It, it was quite... It was quite lovely, yeah. It was as smooth as like a Randy Orton RKO kind of thing. It literally popped me out of my seat. It was incredible. Mm. What what a moment. Um, I just I really, really, really enjoyed this match. And then, of course, you've got the underlying story about how Momo sort of sees Utami as trying to usurp her. You know, Utami gave Momo the championship shot. She didn't earn it. You know, she's in Utami's shadow a little bit. And then to come up short again is just, it looks like it's too much for her to bear. And there's the moment when Utami says, you know, she makes a very good, very, very telling point. Momo is the leader of Queen's Quest. Momo doesn't resort and walks to the back. Something else is going to happen. I can feel it. And whether it's Momo changing factions or whether it's Momo leading her own faction or whether we're just going to get a shift, I don't know. But there's more storyline here. And, oh, that's what's brilliant about this. It just... It engages you. It's so compelling. Um, And then, obviously, once that's finished, um, Utami says she thinks... She thought that her next title defence was going to be a Budokan in March but she wants to challenge or wants a challenge in January of the 10th anniversary and Micah appears um, and she's going to challenge in January for the Red Belt. Um, Chris, what's your opinion on that? Interesting choice. It's a very interesting choice. They have chemistry. We saw it in the Five Star. We saw it in... Have you seen the Just Tap Out match? I haven't, no. Well, it was okay. Um, They haven't had... A crazy match yet. Um, I would question putting Micah in this position so early on, but we've we've done it with basically everyone else in DDM. So I guess if you want to keep all of them looking like equals, you have to. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm not sure. I'm. It's going to be a weird one. Like I can't predict the quality. I think like it's going to be baseline fine, but they might try and pull out something special because Micah hasn't had that. Big special performance yet, but something inherently there about her, but like she hasn't put it into something we can see yet. So this might be her opportunity. Suddenly, all the shock wins in the five star make sense. That makes sense, yeah. I was initially shocked when I first saw it, and I was talking, I can't remember who I was talking to in the Discord about it. And my initial thought was, well, you know, it sort of takes the mystique out of it because there's no way Mike has taken the belt off Utami. Um, so does that take take us out of it a little bit? And someone pointed out, well, it's not necessarily... That's not the point of her being in this match. 
That's not why she's there. The reason she's there is to elevate her to that level, to show that she is capable of wrestling at that level. And once you take the whole, well, she's not going to win, out of the out of the um, situation? Is that the word I'm looking for? <laughs> out of the... Basically out of what we're talking about. It's an interesting <laughs> matchup. And do you know what? I'm absolutely fine with it. Because again, Micah has been packaged so well, has been looked after so well, and has been booked so well, that it's not out of the realm of possibility that this is going to be an excellent match. Utami's capable of putting on tremendous matches. Micah, though she hasn't had that blow-away tremendous match in stardom yet. She's solid. Everyone has their first tremendous match. You know, everyone starts somewhere, so why not be in the main event of the 10th anniversary show in January? Why not? No, again, and it's a rivalry that's been like brewing under the surface in stardom basically since Micah came in. So, well, and since performing the Just Tap Out match. So, like, again, it's not the worst one to go with. It's something I I wouldn't put this early on in a reign, but then again, we don't know how long Utami is going to be champion. So, who, so maybe just we just wanted to get out of the way. I'm sure, again, I'm sure it's going to be at least fine. And I agree, everyone has to have their first tremendous match at some point, so why the fuck shouldn't it be this one? I don't think it's going to be a bad match at all. And no. to, to be perfectly honest, um, I don't think Utami will have to carry Micah. I no, think Micah is capable. Yeah. Like, even if you didn't have to carry him, um, Utami could probably just Brock Lesnar her way out of a bad pairing. <laughs> um. What did you give this match, Chris? Oh, I gave it a high nine. I fucking loved it. Like, the only reason it's not a 10 is because, as I said, I felt the beginning was a tad slow. It didn't really kick into um, the high gear until the B driver. But then when that happened, nothing but great stuff throughout the rest of the match. I gave it 10. Ooh. And to be fair, (laughs) like, I've realized that over this year, I've become a lot more stingy with my 10s. Like, I was putting together my um, end-of-year um, match list video, and only four matches got um, the full 10 from me this year, On hi- in hindsight. Mm. I'll be honest, the slowness of the start didn't bother me. I didn't see it as slow. I saw it as, you know, a feeling-out process. Again, these women are extremely familiar with each other. If they go gung-ho, then they're going to lose. So it's a case of feeling each other out. And then there's that snap moment where it kicks into another gear. I think if you've got 23 minutes, or was it, I think it was 23 minutes, of just outright balls-to-the-wall mentalness, the crowd are going to get burnt out. So you need to have that slow build. True, but we didn't really um, we didn't really plant seeds that would come to fruition, which you, which you should do in a feeling-out period. And in storyline-wise... We don't need to feel each other out because we already know each other inside out. So it's weird. They did try something else, though. I mean, you've got Utami trying to target the leg and then Momo eviscerating the neck of Utami. So you had got things being different as well. Hmm. I mean, Momo, from that B-driver on the concrete, weakened the neck pretty much like a shark around blood in water. I mean, she Hmm. was relentless. And even though... Utami's legwork was ultimately futile. You know, 
it was about Utami surviving the barrage that Momo was laying on her. And I think that, I, I think it worked. You know, to each their own. I think we're arguing about what? Half a star? I th- ultimately, we mm-hmm. can both agree that this was a tremendous match. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is definitely top 10 of stardom the year approaching top five. Um, this is another one that Meltzer uh, rated. He gave it four and a quarter. I, I think that's low. I think it's at least on par with the uh, Julius Fury match, but there we are. I'm not get, I'm not going to argue over a quarter of a star. That's pointless. Um, so, Chris, my big question to you, before we move on to the events of after year-end climax, don't forget we're not reviewing year-end climax till the new year, um, which show was better? And ultimately, I think this boils down to what is your favourite stardom show of the year? Which well, is my favourite still ninth anniversary. Really? I lo- really? It's, be- it's because it's so dense. Like, these are long, fairly long shows, whereas um, the ninth anniversary is so dense. And also, um, two of my top five starter matches of the year were on that show, so... Interesting. Okay. I think also the fact there was an there was an actual crowd on it helps. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, but in terms of this or Yokohama, I'm gonna go with this because mm. mostly because of Utami, like because it boils down to mostly the undercards better, and I prefer Utami Momo to Shiri Mei. So I agree with you. I agree with you. I think this as a show is better as a whole. Um, that's not to say Yokohama Cinderella isn't a great show. It's 1A and 1B. Um, but I I thoroughly enjoyed this show. And yes, it was three hours, but it was three hours that flew by. And these two main, the main and the semi-main were tremendous, tremendous mm. matches. So yeah, a really, really, really good showing in uh, Stardom's final big show of the year. So, Chris, let's talk about the res- the uh, the events of post-year-end climax. I'm sure everyone that is uh, listening to the podcast has seen what happened. It was posted all over Twitter and it's posted all over Facebook. If not, can I just suggest that you fast-forward maybe five or ten minutes um, where we talk about our end-of-year awards. Um, but post-main event, um, the Stardom roster, um, apart from a weeder tie, sat down and watched a video review of the year um, and this was then interrupted by a returning Yoshiko and Nene Takahashi returning to the company. Now, Yoshiko made a beeline for Mayu and basically challenged her to a singles match. Um, Saida attempted to step in but was um, sort of big-timed by Yoshiko, which made me laugh. Um Starlight Kid attempted to st- step in um, and offer her and Saida as a tag match for Yoshiko and Nene Takahashi. Um, and Momo Watanabe um, turned to Mayu and said, this is not just a stars problem, this is a stardom problem. Um, turned to Yoshiko and said that if she thought that she was the same Momo from four years ago, then she will end up extremely hurt, which I thought was a badass thing to say. Um, Julia stood up and said, look, everyone, it's the person who didn't win the Woman of the Year 2020, Yoshiko, which was tremendous. It's great that she is treating this like Owen Hart treated the Slammies. Really, Mm. really, really tremendous. She She should start coming out. 
with a copy of Tokyo Spot. Yes! Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Like Yano with the DVDs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Mayu sort of agrees, I think, kind of. And then Yoshiko and, uh, Yoshiko and Tana- Takahashi leave. Chris. Yeah. Obviously, Yoshiko is a wrestler Infamous. with a little bit of baggage. And for those who don't know, um, Yoshiko is part of one of the most infamous in-ring shoots. I think it's fair to say with Akiyasukawa, where Yoshiko pretty much beats the evil and shit into it. However, and this was a tweet that I saw, and for me, this makes perfect sense. If the stardom roster are okay with Yoshiko coming back, and let's face it, if they weren't, Yoshiko wouldn't be coming back. Mm-hmm. If the stardom roster are okay with Yoshiko coming back, because ultimately they are the people going into the ring with her, then we as fans, irrelevant of how we feel about Yoshiko, we should be fine about that as well. You can be upset about it, you can be angry about it, you can be angry because of that incident, that's fine. But ultimately, the stardom roster are okay with Yoshiko stepping back into a stardom ring. So we need to accept that. Um, it is going to be weird, I'm not going to lie, but the, this is this immediately feels huge. Like, they came yeah, out I... and, you know, this is Nene Takahashi, this is the original ace of stardom the joshi Mm. legend the first ever world of stardom champion you know this is yoshiko who's a huge deal this is a massive massive thing for stardom and obviously you are feeling that we are going to be heading towards um the budokan show and the 10th anniversary tour so they are going to be wanting to stack the deck to get those seats in for budokan but a yoshiko versus mayu singles match would be tremendous. I well, I have two feelings on this. One about Yoshiko, because remember she was brought up bef- like earlier this month. We were talking in the Discord, and then someone brought up because I think it was Pro Wrestling Wave. That's where she works. It was Wave or Seedlink, and um, and s- someone mentioned her name and it rang a bell. It's like shit. Is that the person from the incident? And we were like, yeah, but like apparently she's been working for years now, and like. She, everyone seems to have moved on. It was, it's a horrific fucking thing. Like, don't like it, it, it's out there. Don't seek it. Um, unless you actually want to see someone's face get broken. It's the, uncomfortable to watch. It's very uncomfortable to watch. I don't know why I watched it, but I did. Um, but in terms of like the actual angle, it's one of those ones where I'm really sad stardom don't go out live because, oh my god, if because if I could have just seen this without with blind eyes oh my god what this is the first invasion angle in stardom that since i started watching that feels scary it feels like when suzuki gun came back in 2017 Mm, like and like just immediately there's an aura around these two i don't know where the fuck it's going but i'm super interested and the fact that like literally all of stardom's in storyline is taking it apart from a that's weird. Maybe if I take over Weathertype, I'd be pre- pretty fucking badass. <laughs> like, that honestly, would be do... incredible. 
yeah, just walking in. Oh my god! Brit um punches Tara. This is my house now. <laughs> my rules. Um, yeah, but I'm just there's such a presence now around both of them, and but you can't manufacture that. You can't buy that sort of charisma, that sort of interest. And I've only seen a couple of Yushiko matches. She is really good. She's a proper fucking bruiser. Um, and let's and... face it, who on that roster is better at fucking ragdolling themselves for a bruiser than Mayu? Yeah, and then like also the thought of her and Momo, like because Momo will give us get will give as good as she gets. Oh, Just... she will definitely. And like I think you'd agree with me by saying like a lot over the last few months, a lot of the pairings have been sort of burned through very quickly. Mm. So this immediately injects a lot into stardom, and like, but like, just these two women coming back has completely, absolutely, one hundred percent changed the landscape. It's so, in, I'm so intrigued, and not in a evil champion. I didn't expect that to happen. Way in a, I want to see what happens next because this looks like it's going to be fucking amazing. Way, and for next podcast, I'm going to actually watch some of both women's big matches on Stardom World because I want to know a bit more going in because mm. um, I believe Yoshiko's who beat Io Shirai for the title yes and then I think Yoshiko was obviously stripped in light of this yeah yeah, yeah. but um, I, and, like, I understand people who are a bit wary about it but I don't think she's going to be shooting on anyone and I don't think she's inherently unsafe at this stage no, like, and that's that's the thing. You completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. I understand people who are hesitant completely, but again, you know, she's not going to be going in there and just smashing the shit out of Starlight Kid. And she's not the first person in Japanese wrestling to have shot in someone and then been forgiven. I mean, look at fucking Maeda back in Maeda and Choshu back in New Japan in the eighties. Like Nene Takahashi did it. Yeah, she beat it's... the shit out of um, Kari Sane. Carrie Hoji. Yeah. Um, Nick, um, Ogawa in New Japan. Ogawa. <laughs> yeah. Ogawa and Hashimoto. But to be fair, that's probably because <laughs> Anoki was like, I'll shoot on you if you don't shoot on him. And I again, don't know why Anoki, I find it funny. It's not funny. It's like, fucking it's terrifying. It's not funny at all. But um, yeah, that's like, I think, like, I don't, I think she's been like in smaller promotions long enough to have proven she's not like that anymore mm. yeah so, i agree like e- even though like as so if i had the book of stardom i'd be wary if no one's being made like who's actually going to be affected by this feels uncomfortable wrestling with her i see no problem no i i agree i agree so chris the final thing to come out of um year-end climax which isn't a result because obviously we're going to talk about that in our first podcast of the new year like i said earlier um is that um mina shirakawa is going to be out for i've seen both two months and a month and a half so roughly between those two because she had her nose broken uh by a julia big boot Uh, i saw the picture in our discord it looked fucking disgusting it looks grim. Looks very, very yeah. grim, and unfortunately, that does throw the aforementioned spanner into the works of the st- the ongoing stars and Cosmic Angel storyline. I mean, admittedly, you could just make it a tag team match. I mean, it would, you know, 
yes, throwing Sayurida in and making it the sixth woman, that would make sense because that's where the storyline's going. But ultimately, you can still continue the storyline with Mayu and Starlight versus Tam and Yunagi. That, that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, and especially if you're going to have little bits between Yoshiko and Mayu anyway, you can afford to not put it on the back burner, but you can allow it to sort of bubble under the surface until she's ready to come back. You can stall for a couple weeks. Like, in this essence, it wasn't going to happen until... Um, like, this probably wasn't going to come to a head until Budokan. So you can stall for a few weeks and then rush the build. Like, it's not like when Jungle got injured and now um, Konami's just sort of floating in the wilderness. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, um, before we sign off, um, thank you to everyone who has responded to our Stardom Cast End of Year awards we cannot tell you how many responses we've had and we just we thoroughly thoroughly appreciate it so thank you so much what we're going to do now is we're going to give our ballots to uh the seven categories and what we're going to do is i'm going to ask chris he's going to give me his top three and then i'm going to give my top three and then we'll go down we will announce the results on the first podcast after new year this will close on the 1st of january so if you haven't got your votes in vote now so chris are you ready to give your votes yes i probably right. could have written this down but it's in my head i've got this <laughs> so start on wrestler of the year who is third second and first for you okay so for me third and literally she's only third because several factors kept her off tv this year but jungle every time she turned up made the most of the time she was given. Like, mm-hmm. chance that if you had a match with Jungle this year, it was one of your best matches. Yeah, agreed. It, like, she had the... For, for me, for my money, she had the best title defense with May this year, and that's in a... And spoilers, she might be further up my list. Um, second <laughs> is Tam. Um, she is the expert of taking a 10-minute um, t- time slot and turning it into, like, something that feels like a 30-minute epic. Like, she's mm. so good at putting so much into a short amount of time and not having it feel forced. Like, one of my favorite style matches all year is her versus Mayu at the five-star. And yeah. that's under 10 minutes, and it's fucking incredible. Like, it's better than... And I, I, I put my foot down and say this is better than any Okada defense in 2019. <laughs> so, but it's not hard. But, you know, people yeah, still like Okada... <laughs> But people still like Okada for some reason. Um, and then number one is May. Like, of course it is. Like, it was, is there any d- doubt over who's winning Sardin Wrestle of the Year this year? May's just been on an absolute another level. Yeah, she's God tier this year, certainly. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, um, third is Tam. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a reason that Tam has been in the two emotional storylines of this year, and that's because she can weave storylines and weave emotions so, so well into her matches. And, you know, the stuff with Arissa last year to the stuff with Julia this year and then with Mayu and Stars towards the end of this year, you know, she's been in two of the feuds of the year. So, you know, there's a reason for that. And, you know, she had a good five-star. She had a good Goddesses of Stardom Tag League. She's been constantly good. I think the least I can do is throw her a third place. The very, very least. Um, Number two is Utami. Um, You know, a tremendous year for Utami. She's won the Goddess of Stardom um, tag titles. She won the five-star. She won the red belt. There's literally nothing else that this 
woman can do. And she's constantly improving. She feels like she's ascended to that main event level. And yeah, she's, again, this match with Momo really does cement her as a real star. So tremendous. And then first has to be Mayu for every reason you outlined. Every single match that she's had for that red belt before she lost it to Utami, and including that match, felt like legitimate match of the year contenders. And as we go down to match of the year, you will see just how many of Mayu's matches are actually match of the year. Um, She's just been tremendous. And spoiler, apparently a lot of you think so too. So yeah, that's that's our top three each for um, uh, Stardom Wrestler of the year. So let's go to Stardom Match of the Year. Now, crucially different, we have a Match of the Year and a Tag Match of the Year. So Chris, what are your top three matches of the year for Stardom? Um, okay, so... Um, number three is I'm just looking at what um, is Utami versus Arisa from Ninth Anniversary. Yeah. Now there are actually actually matches I do like think are objectively better. Like even on the same card, if you look at like my top ten matches of the year video plug, um, Tam versus Kagetsu beat this. But when I rewatched this match a few um, a few weeks ago, I fucking ugly cried because I just miss Arisa so much. I miss her so much. <laughs> like, and the fact that she was acting like a psychopath, I know me and you differ on this match, and we're probably never not going to differ. Quite frankly, like, I don't think we're ever going to agree on this match, but I think just how fucking brutal it is, how psycho Arisa was, was just amazing. Um, And then second is Mayu versus Jungle. Just, oh my God. I didn't expect Jungle and Maeve to have this kind of match. I didn't expect Maeve to wrestle smart, because, like, it, it's Maeve. But she wrestled really smart here, and, like, started fucking with standard styles and conventions to subvert expectations, and it was great, and I loved it. And yeah, I think you saw this one coming as well, but Maeve <laughs> is a Roha at Weight of a Major League. I There's not been a, like, there's not been a, like, three-week span this year where I haven't praised this match. It's one of four matches I've given 10 out of 10 to in retrospect this year. And just the Power Ranger kicks, man. I'm never going to get over those fucking Power Ranger kicks. <laughs> um, so, third for me is Mavis Takumi Aroha from The Way to Major League 2020. Um, tremendous match. Can't say anything else about that. It's a match that they booked on the fly. Um, it was a replacement match for what should have been Mavis Isari, I believe. Yeah. So, a tremendous match full of hard-hitting bollocks, which is great. Um, so, that ranks third for me. Second is the Utami versus Momo Watanabe um, match from Osaka Dream Cinderella. All of the drama, just a really, really, really good match. And finally, possibly controversially, my start of match of the year is <laughs> Mayu versus Aroa 2 from uh, Goddess of Stardom Tag League Night this is 4. This divided on Discord. It with, is. These, these two matches. There seems to be two sides here. Well, there's two matches, if that makes sense. But, like, everyone has a slide and everyone's very passionate about their side. I love both the matches. I love both yeah. the matches. And my standpoint is the second match is everything that is wonderful about the first match, but with the storyline. Yeah, but the one thing that 
I end up taking issue with with the second one, and it's a small thing. It like only just drags it down, but um, I felt the ending was a bit sloppy. Like Rohan's foot was very clearly on the ropes. Nah, worked. It worked in the context of the story. It worked for me. But again, it's you know, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. We're fine. <laughs> We're fine. Um, stardom tag team match of the year. Then Chris, um, what are your third, second, and first? Okay. So, um, first one it, um, in third is Momo and Azumi versus Utami and Sai from Stardom is again. I did not expect that to be anywhere near as good as it was. <laughs> like, I expected it to be like grand, I expected it to be fine, but then it was just absolutely incredible. Like, this was before we got completely burned out on draws because around this time, oh my god, did they not stop with the draws? So the draw was shocking. The draw makes sense. The story was great. The action was great, especially the exchanges between Saya and Azumi and then Momo and Utumi, uh, Utumi, Utami starting to bomb each other into the ground. Never going to get old. Um, second is Team Marvelous versus Queen's Quest. Some say the drop kicks are still happening to this day. <laughs> and, but like also, whenever Aroha would be taken down the peg, it felt like a beast being slain. It was incredible. Like, I don't know how... Because she's so much taller than everyone else in the match, but she just... Went, she just felt more legitimate just because of that. It's like, oh my god, it's a giant. It's like Shadow of a Colossus or something. And then number one is obviously Jungle and Momo versus Kagetsu and May. I didn't expect this match to be as good as it is. Like, this is like my overall tag match of the year, just because of how much I enjoyed it, in terms of just sheer enjoyment watching wrestling. I don't think anything really tops this this year, just because May doing a Reditai shit, she was clearly <laughs> relishing in it. <laughs> like, getting to do the um, all the tactics that got pulled on her, it was just great clearly having a great time everyone was apart from jungle and momo who wanted to kill the other two it was a nice little dichotomy i loved it so third for me is exactly the same as you uh that time limit draw uh between queen's quest from stardom is again tremendous match and the underlying does Kamatani belong in queen's quest storyline added tremendously to it her exchange with momo throughout the year have been tremendous and I love seeing them. Um, second is the JK Green versus Kagetsu and Mayu match from the ninth anniversary show in Osaka. Again, tremendous. It's one of the very few tag matches I've actually gone back and watched again. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. The birth of Dickhead Mayu, maybe. Um, and first for me was the Team Marvelous versus Queen's Quest match from the five star special in Tokyo just Aroha had or has should I say that star power and it just oozed throughout the match like everyone looked brilliant in this match and it felt like a real well for lack of a better phrase it felt like a real big event and I loved it I loved it I didn't want it to end it was a tremendous match Chris yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Stardom show of the year, then. Where are you going with this, Chris? Um, okay, so third is um, Yokohama. Great stuff, top to bottom. Some A lot of filler in the middle, but like storylines were paid off. Some great matches on there, especially the top two. Just 
some of the best I've seen from Sardom all year. And then Osaka Dream, which is basically the same, but in Osaka, still better. And also that Momo versus Ichami match only just missed out on a top three spot. And then you have Ninth Anniversary, which again, I think is just so dense and it has three of my favorite matches all year on it, as well as a really solid tag team title match. And some really fun undercard stuff. Like, and that high-speed triple threat, amazing as well. Just really good. And it sort of marks this, the sort of height of Sardin's climb from the year before, really, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. we're in a sold-out Corican Hall with some amazing matches on the card with the two, arguably at the time, ace figures in Stardom with Momo and um, Mayu going at it. And that isn't even the three matches I would talk about that I love so much. It's just amazing. Just go out your way to see it. It's not even that long a show. It's like, I think in-ring time all tops up to around 90 minutes and another or two-hour show. Just go out your way and, and watch it. It's amazing. Well, um. I am just going to mention a close, close fourth is the year-end Climax 2019. Um, That was a tremendous show. Mm -hmm. And it's the first full show I watched as it was uploaded for Stardom. So, yeah, it will always hold a special place in my heart. That show was a great show. Um, Third, ninth anniversary show in Tokyo. Um, Tremendous show. Um, main evented by a tremendous red belt defense between Mayu and Momo. Really, really good show. Um, the second choice for me is the Yokohama Cinderella show. Um, the biggest show of the year up to that point. Um, and it felt that way. The crowd was electric. Um, I thought Mayu and Suri is underrated. I think that's a really, really, really good match. You had the Tokyo Cyber Squad. Um, capitulation and the Konami turn. You had that fantastic opener between Azumi and Starlight Kid. You had Tam versus Julia, just top to bottom. Apart from those weird little sort of filler matches, a really, really good card. And for me, that's why Osaka Dream Cinderella ranks number one. It didn't really have, you know, the Oida Tai Tag off filler, but they were better quality than the Yokohama Cinderella filler, if that makes sense. Um yeah. And the highs of a soccer dream were slightly higher than the Yokohama Cinderella highs. I mean, you've got Momo versus um, Utami, tremendous. Um, Julie versus Suri, tremendous. Uh, Azumi versus Meiho Shizuki, really, 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 really good. Yeah, can't fault it, can't fault it at all. So, yeah, that's what gets my number one vote. Right, Chris, Stardom Most Improved Wrestler. Oh, number one is obviously that no, it's not death. Um, huh. number three is Julia. She's went from someone I actually despise to someone I'm actually looking forward to seeing on future cards. Mm-hmm. So, and as just in every aspect of her game, she's improved. Her move sets hitting harder. Her promos are getting better. Just she's on the way up. She's not quite there yet, but she's improving at a fairly tremendous rate at this point. Um, second is. I'm trying to decide between second and first. Right, okay. Second is Starlight Kid, because I had one issue with Starlight Kid at the beginning of the year, and that was her offense was weak. And then you get to the five-star, and she's killing people. So she addressed the one issue I had with her, and it's great. I like when that happens. And then first, she again, she, this is somebody who has a way to go, but Sayaka Matani, considering at the start of the year, 
I didn't even like care about. I was like, oh, I'm willing to shoot this RPS. That's all you are. And then just like I think the moment it really changed was that tag match where suddenly she felt like she belonged because especially within like Queen's Quest when she was wearing like that frilly frock like she was being superimposed onto Queen's Quest photo shoots and all that and yes. now she feels as integral part of Queen's Quest as anyone else in it 100% agreed completely agreed so um. I'm going to cop out and call a joint third. See how much time I'm doing it, don't worry. Um, and my joint third is Starlight Kid and Sayida. Um I think Starlight Kid, for exactly the same reasons you said, Sayida has improved tremendously, even just from the five-star, which she shouldn't even been in, putting on fantastic matches there, and then feeling like just every time I see her, she's improved in ring. She just feels like more of a threat, more of a... She feels less pin fodder and more like a legitimate pocket rocket threat. And I can't ask any more from Sayurida for where she is. She's improving her moveset tremendously. Um, you know, she's constantly integrating different things, trying different things. Um, yeah, can't fault her. So she and Starlight Kid are both at three. Julia is second for the exact same reason as you. When she won the Cinderella tournament uh, back in March, I could not have given less of a fuck. Um and for me, it was a little bit of a wet fart. But how far she's come in my estimation, you know, talking now on the 27th of December, she's come on leaps and bounds, leaps and leaps and bounds. She's connecting with audiences. She's putting on tremendous matches. She feels like a legitimate star with that white belt. Yeah, I can't ask any more of a tremendous. And then number one is Sai Kamatani. Um for someone to come as far as she has to the point where she feels you, you look at the confidence she has when she walks to the ring now, you know, with that belt strapped around her, she feels like a future star. She really does. And she's got the aggression. She's got the emotion. She's got the fucking Phoenix splash for God's sake. So, you know, what else can you, what else can you ask for? She's come on. Flight tubes. Amazingly. Amazing. What light tubes from Saikamatani. Yeah, really, really good. So she is my starred and most improved wrestler. Feud of the year, then. Who are you giving this to, Chris? Okay, so third, and this is basically just tailing off at the end of last year, more than into this year, but I really enjoyed the stuff with Julia and Hannah. Yeah, Every time they got into the ring with each other, it was always at least fun. Like I still remember when DDM first debuted. And um, Layla Hirsch got pinned in the six man. And then Hannah was like, you pinned my bodyguard. Do you really think that means you can beat me? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, fuck Layla Hirsch, I guess. Jesus. Um, It's just a great stuff. And like Hannah's obviously someone who's really missed on the side and roster. She's a presence that's missed. Um, Secondly, it's weird because I've been down on Julie most of the year, but Tam versus Julie was fucking incredible. Like yeah. that whole summer series, that trilogy was really good. They had great chemistry in tag matches. I remember the Sardamins again match where Tam was standing on, I think it was Cyrida, to um, try and get in Julia's face. It was hilarious. Um, and then versus Mayu and Iroa, which is weird because it's not in terms of like pure 
it, like basically a Roha came in, like fucking Killmonger and Black Panther, destroyed Mayu, then fucked off. And then she was this looming presence throughout the whole year where at any point she could swoop in and claim her title shot. Mm. So in many ways, it's sort of like um, Champa and Gargano, where at the, at the start, before it became incredibly played out, where Gargano was doing all these things in NXT, but at any second, Champa could come back and completely wreck this man's whole career. So I, I just love shit like that. I love a looming threat in wrestling, and that's what Aroha brought to Stardom this year. Third, um, Mayu and Aroha, exactly the same reason as you. Um, Julian Hannah, second. Um, it was the thing that Julian needed to mm. bring her into the mainstream of stardom because people went exactly hot on her and then she got into a feud with unbelievably charismatic Hannah and you can argue that that's the moment that Julia sort of started taking off. Um, and then Tam and Julia, you know, I, I raved about this feud and it's the reason that, especially their second match at Yokohama Cinderella was so fucking good. Well, third, if you count the five star, um, their third match at Yokohama Cinderella was so fucking good was because Tam is just so brilliant at weaving these emotional stories and Julia is just as good. I mean, for God's sake, she's in the top two of my top three feuds of the year in stardom. So what does that tell you about it? Tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Um, last two then, Chris, and the last one shouldn't take too long. So, start a moment of the year. Um, it's weird because it's been a hard year to have moments, just because of the like having no crowd, kind of destroys some moments. Um, but I'm going for third. TCS breaking up. And Konami turning on Jungle because the moment itself was incredible. I'm yeah. trying not to judge it too harshly next to what happened after, which was nothing. But the moment itself, I was like, oh shit, I'm completely up for a Konami and Kiona feud. And then, of course, Kiona got injured and Konami, she, she might have went to the hills to live Volca. We'll never know. <laughs> um, second is... It's going to sound weird, but like, sad being at Wrestle Kingdom, just it seemed to be a turning point where people were like, oh, we should actually turn around and watch it. Because New Japan, at the end of the day, is prestige wrestling. Like, it's seen as the place where people go to be the best they can. And going into Wrestle Kingdom, they were also riding a massive momentum with a two day Tokyo Dome show. So, People finally turn around going, oh, Stardom isn't just this thing watched by weirdos. It's an actual legit thing. Maybe I'll check it out. And people checked it out and more people love Stardom now and it's great. And then first, and the announcement of running Budokan Hall, I just got so excited. Like I know there's been a lot of talk of can we draw there, but like I don't care. Just the thought of Stardom being in that venue is a great thought for me. And I can't wait to see it. Hard to disagree with you, mate. Um, so I'm going to go with Stardom selling out Corican for the first time as number three. Um, it was a massive indicator of where Stardom was headed before COVID fucked everything up this year. Um, it was a huge signal of intent as well um, for the company, um, which was then echoed in number two, them featuring at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, wrestling at Wrestle Kingdom is, you know, the pinnacle of Japanese wrestling. 
it feels like. And to have stardom represented there, you know, yes, it was a dark match that people don't get to see, but ultimately you had four wrestlers who were wrestling in front of 40,000 people. That's nothing to be sniffed at. Your brand is being represented at a place where 40,000 people are witnessing it. So for, for for the company, that's a tremendous moment. And that ultimately has led to, number one, stardom announcing the running Budokan Hall. I mean, what a way to cap off this year. That's tremendous. I mean, it's ambitious. It's it's scarily ambitious. But it's going to be incredible, and I can't wait for it because the card they're going to put on for Budokan is going to be tremendous, and I cannot wait for that. Um, And finally, Chris, we'll just do the one here because there's no point doing top three because there's only, there's only uh, six options. Um, Faction of the Year. Who's been your Faction of the Year this year? Um, DDM. We felt like such a tight unit. Like even when we've added people, like for example, we were both a bit hesitant with Himika just because a tall rookie had all the makings of like someone like Kevin Nash, where we're just gonna hate watching him. But then Himika was great, and then Natsupoi came in, and we haven't really done anything with her yet. But like it's clear they're going to at some point, and that's gonna be great when we finally do. And then just the main trio of Micah, Julia, and Shiri, just three incredible talents. And they don't feel bloated. Like, the thing is with Stars at the start of the year, Stars was fairly bloated at that point. Hmm. So having a tight faction, it was the first time we really got that since, like, TCS last year. So it was just great stuff. I've been loving DDM all year. I completely agree with you. <laughs> DDM are my faction of the year as well. Um, you've got four legitimate single stars in DDM. Um, and then recently added Natsupoi, and though they, like I said, they haven't done anything with it yet, you get the sense that they are going to. And that Azumi versus Natsupoi match that we are going to get, whew, uh, when we come together for the 2021 awards, expect that to be on the ballot because that will be absolutely tremendous. Um Julia and Suri especially feel as two huge, huge stars. Um, and I just, I, you get the impression that they are going to be two that carry the company going forward. Micah as well. And then Himika, like you said, she came in, she looked a little bit green, but she came on tremendously. I mean, to be honest, she could quite easily be in the top three for the most improved because she's improved tremendously. Her five star was incredible. Mm, he was one of the MVPs of that whole tournament. Oh, 100%. 100%. And there you are, ladies and gentlemen. Those are our votes for the Stardom End of Year Awards. Um, we've given our votes, so please go and give your votes before the voting closes on the 1st of January. Uh, myself and Chris will be back on Sunday. The Sorry, I'm just checking the calendar to see when it is. It'll be Sunday the 3rd of January, so we'll be back then to go through all of the happenings in Stardom. We'll be going through the actual card of year-end climax, as well as announcing the winners of our end-of-year awards. Um, until then, uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. We really, really, really do appreciate it. Go and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe. It really, really does help our podcast out. And while we're on that, thank you so much for making this year tremendous for the Stardom cast. We've grown and grown and grown and grown and grown, and we legitimately couldn't do it without all of you guys. So thank you so much to everyone for that. 
Um, talk to us on Twitter at, at the Stardom Cast. Um, go and check out the website, www.podmania.co.uk. Um, you can talk to me on Twitter at, at RealRobGoodwin. Chris, where can they find you? Um, on YouTube, Chris O'Brien, top 25 matches of the year. Number one get- won't surprise you, but number 14 might. <laughs> go and check it out. It's also on the website as well. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We hope you've had a wonderful Christmas and have a tremendous new year. We'll see you on the other side. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>